Well, we have, um, we've been in a sermon series titled No Offense and uh, talking about offense and the offendability of us and how easy it is to become offended. And uh, if you were to boil down the past three weeks, we've been going through this, I would boil it down to one idea, and it is this. You can be free no matter what they do. You can be free. I want to say this again. You can be free no matter what they do. And this collection of talks has been kind of extra timely because we live in such a highly offendable society. Um, it's like everyone's offended all the time about everything. If you're not offended, you're not paying attention. And people will get offended that you're not offended enough about what they're offended of. It's almost like the magic word to get whatever you want these days is to say, I'm offended. Uh, it used to be please, but, uh, but apparently today in our, in our society, in our culture, the place that we're in, um, offense is, is the ticket. And um, it shouldn't be a surprise to us if those of us who are Christ followers, because Jesus actually prophesies and foretells that um, in the last days, many would be offended and the love of many would grow cold. So offense would be on the rise and love would grow cold. And uh, if you're paying attention to our world, the culture, and where we're at right now, uh, divisiveness and disunity, offense uh, is all over the place and is kind of ruling the day. Which means that um, in all of the watching for the end times, and some of you are like, you know, I, you, you're, on the, you're on the watch for the, you know, pestilences and earthquakes and uh, wars and rumors of wars and blood moons and all of those things. And all, the, all of those things are, are great and we should be on guard for them, but there are also things that we can't control. And Jesus pushes the one thing that we can, which is that we should guard our hearts from offense. Uh, it's the one thing that you, you actually, as a Christ follower, have the opportunity, the, the ability through the gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to guard your heart from offense. We see it all throughout the Bible. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, he says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, thoughts like murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. So essentially, this idea is this, that like everything you do begins with and flows out from your heart. So we're going to read James chapter 4 this morning. We're going to read a portion of that scripture. And um, like we do each and every week, would you mind standing with me as we honor the reading of God's word? We're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 10. Um, try not to get offended at the offensiveness of James as he calls you names multiple times, I hope you pay attention to the names that he calls you so that you can fully forgive him. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, what, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, 
So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think, Scripture says without reason, that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Lord, I I thank you for your word, as offensive as it is. Um, I pray that this principle that James is teaching that is echoed throughout your scripture would, would land in some fertile soil in our hearts today. God, I pray that it, we would yet again be reminded that we can be free no matter what they do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I remember it like like it was yesterday. It was my first real fight. Um, I was in sixth grade, and um, Karate Kid 3 had just been released that summer. Just so you know, kind of where I, the, 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 the time that I grew up in. If you've never seen Karate Kid 3, I'm sorry. You could say that I was aptly prepared for any battle that lay before me. Um, because I had completed the trilogy at that point. And so, crane kick, I mean, I knew everything. I was, I was good, real good. And so, um, it all began on the morning bus ride. Back in the 90s, the school bus was the Wild West of childhood. Um, I learned all swear words on the school bus. Um, nothing really good ever happened um, or transpired on, on the school bus. And... I had this friend, and his name was Anthony, Anthony Brucey. And um, I can't really remember how it all began, how it all started, because, um, well, I think I was avenging a girl. Um, And I say that mostly because it makes me sound like the good guy in my story. I don't think it's true, but but let's go with it. Um, I was avenging a girl, and uh, I do remember saying the S word, I do remember telling Anthony to shut up. And um, it didn't go well because then, you know, he double-stamped my triple stamp and he came back and said, you shut up. And then I was left responding the only, the only way that I could, which was to say, do you want to fight? And I can literally remember the words leaving my mouth thinking, wow, that escalated very quickly. <laughs> I hope he says no. Like I, I clearly remember this. Um, 
And he didn't. He shrugged his shoulders and was like, okay. (laughs) So there we are standing on a bus that's moving. And I had a choice in that moment. I could either start punching wildly, which was valid, or I could buy some more time. And so we had this incredibly awkward follow-up conversation trying to schedule a good time to fight. (laughs) This is like sixth grade fighting, okay? It's like, uh, it went something like, like, are you free? Are you free after school today? Do you think your mom could give me a ride after home? Is that maybe? I mean, it was like this awkward, like... We can't, we, after matching up our calendars, we finally agreed to fight after school that day at the bus stop because, you know, you're never supposed to let you, the sun go down on your anger. And so we were like, done. I wasn't that holy, but it, it was when we could free. We were free, right? And so we, there was this awkward time where we just, I think I said like, well, see you then. And then we sat down and rode the rest of the way to school. <laughs> so I went to Catholic school. There were like 24 kids in my entire grade. And so everyone finds out really quick, right? Gossip just kind of goes. So I got kids giving me like tips and tricks. And I'm like, I watched Karate Kid 3. I know how to do this, okay? And um, so after school, we get off the bus. And at this point, I'm trying to psych myself up because I've legit forgotten why we're fighting. Because it'd been all day, you know? So you got to psych yourself up because you're like, I, I don't know. I'm not mad anymore which is really awkward to fight somebody when you're not mad. Like it had been all day and I was just like, I. So we're standing there, crowd forms, and I'm like, well, it's, uh, it's scheduled, so I think this is going to happen. Like we, we scheduled it this morning. So, so I put my book back down and I just remember, I just started punching. Um, and, and not in the face because that's cruel. Like just kind of like the gut and back area, wherever my forearms would hit. It was kind of like punch, like a T-Rex punching <laughs> is what I remember. And it kind of de- devolved into a bit of wrestling. And it gets tiring. If you've ever been in a fight, it's so tiring. Like after like two minutes, you're like, oh my gosh, I need a break. Time out, right? Time out. Can we water break, please? Like so we're kind of wrestling and fighting. And then I thought like what would Ralph Macchio do? Sweep the leg. So I, I sweeped his leg. I don't know what, how it worked. Miracle of all miracles, he fell. Just as his mom is running across the street, because he lived right across the street from where we were fighting, and she's like, and I'm like, oh, no. I grab my book bag, and I start running as fast as I can. I'm like, hi, Mrs. Brucey. You know, I'm like just running. Like, I don't need a ride. I'm good. You know, like. And so I decided that day to hang up my gloves, and, um, which pretty much means that I'm undefeated at this point. <laughs> because that's, that next day, a bunch of the kids were like, yeah, you won by decision. And I'm, I don't know what that means. But apparently a couple other sixth graders talked, and I won. Maybe it was like a technical knockout. Um, and so uh, that was my one and only fight that I've really, really, really been in. Um, and you've probably been in fights much worse, um, maybe a little higher level than, than me. But I think that no matter what our reaction, what our, uh, what our um, experience is with fighting, I think James asks a really good question in chapter 4, verse 1. And he says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? 
Now, I, I get a little frustrated with the question because I think that it's a little off. Like, if I were to, like, help James ask a better question, I would have him say, who, who causes fights and quarrels among you? Um, because it's not a what, it's, it's a who, right? Like, someone has to be the villain here. The, the who is Anthony and the, the fact that he couldn't stop running his mouth right? I needed to avenge a girl. Like the, the who is, is your boss who won't stop writing you about getting your TPS reports in on time. Like the who is a family member that like criticizes your lawn and says you have too much crabgrass. Like the who is someone in your life that is offending you and causing fights and quarrels among you. And so I'm like, James, no offense, but you're asking the wrong question. It's not a who. It's, 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 it's a who, it's not a what. And James corrects us. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's a what, not a who. And in fact, you'll never get to the root of what it is if you continue to focus on the who. So let me ask the question again. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And he continues and he asks the question by answering the question. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? To which my answer is no. No, they, they come from the people that I just listed off in my life, the, the who's. James, I don't know why you're not listening to me. Do you want to be added to the list? Because I said to you, this, it's not what, it's, it's a who. But James is saying, and, and I, I think we see this through Jesus and through Paul, and we see this throughout the word of God, that like what comes out of you is what is already in you. Offenses simply pressurize what is already in you. So I figured I'd kind of show you this is my soda stream. I love it. Um, what I mean by this is this, like, what comes out of you is already in you. And so all offenses do and fights and quarrels and all that is to pressurize what is already in you. So if you believe about yourself that you are unaccepted, then when somebody walks by you and they don't acknowledge you, then they push your button, Right? If you believe that, that you know, um, you're unworthy, then even, even good, healthy, constructive criticism will push your button. And so what is in you comes out of you because it's in you and it's just pressurized. And all day long, you just try to leave the church and just have a good day of, of just loving Jesus and trying to love people and somebody cuts you off. Every day, people... If you're married, <laughs> thank God you don't have to go to work on Monday, right? Because Tuesday comes. Every, it's like, what in the world is happening? And so we go about our day, and all that's happening, every day of our stinking life, people just keep pushing our butt until you've had it. Until you've come to the place where you're like, I have so stinking had this. Let me try to go through our days. And then what happens? 
we just start living our life. We're trying to just be good. We're trying to love Jesus. We're trying to just not, we're trying to keep things on the road, right? We're trying to, trying to be nice, not swear much, right? And then all of a sudden you just, this, this, this happens. It all comes out. And what's our reaction? Our, our reaction is this. Well, that wasn't me. I don't know what that was. That was weird. Hmm. It's not like me. Oh, no, 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 no. That's you. What comes out of you comes out of you because it's what's in you. Jesus talks about it. James talks about it. Paul talks about it. Proverbs talks about it. That what is in you comes out of you because it's in you. And offenses and life and stupid people simply just pressurize what's already in you. And so when it comes out, we think, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Like my frustration is simply just, I'm just responding to them and they're dumb and they're stupid. And I'm responding to them like they are the ones. And, and James would say, no, 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 no. The things that come out of you come out of you because it's what is within you. In fact, James talks about it a little bit before this in James chapter 3, verse 14. He kind of gives us a little bit of um, update on like this battle that we're talking about here that's within us. He says this, but if you harbor two things, we're going to talk about them in a second, so make sure you, you, you kind of tag these in your mind. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, those two things, bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So it's interesting to me that the, the word that James uses when he talks about disorder, he said, there you will find disorder and every evil, pra evil practice, is actually the same word that Jesus uses that I was just quoting earlier about in the last days, you will find wars and rumors of wars. So that word, rumors of wars, is the exact same word that James uses that's translated as disorder. So James is saying that like the root of disorder, of rumors, of wars, of evil of every kind, is two things, bitter envy and selfish ambition. Now, those are kind of like big words, like bitter envy. Let's just call it jealousy. Bitter Envy asks this question. How come they get what I want? And we're going to boil it down to just very simple questions. How come they get what I want? Back in the day when James wrote this, people were just as simply coveting their neighbor's donkeys or cattle. And so they'd be like, well, I just well, I wish I had their cattle, right? And when was the last time you looked at somebody's cattle? I was like, I wish I had their cattle. And we don't do that anymore. But what does that look like today? I think it's actually even gotten more insidious because today, through the blessing of Instagram and Pinterest, you get to compare your boring life of accidentally eating an entire box of Cheez-Its last night, you know who you are, to pinching and zooming the fake filtered family fun of every one of your closest friends. And so you look at, the, you're pinching and zooming all their perfect, fake, family, filtered fun. And you're like, I wish I had that family. My family just ate all my Cheez-Its last night. <laughs> wish I had their hair. Wish I had their marriage. Wish I had their kids. Wish I had their home. Wish I had their social life. Wish I had those accent pillows on the back of that couch. In the... <laughs> and so we live our lives 
essentially cultivating bitter envy. The comparison game. I want what you have and I'm not getting it. And then he talks about selfish ambition. Essentially, selfish ambition asks this question, how can I get what I want? How can I get what I want? And so James is saying that part of the root of the problem of quarrels and fighting is this. I'm not getting what I want. So James is essentially, and I know this is, this is so frustrating because I, I'm like you, I'm waiting for him to start talking about them. Why is he not talking about the who? He continually, this is what he's saying. He's like, excuse me, ma'am, I just need you. You're leaking. You're leaking. I don't know if you realize this, but all of this stuff is actually spilling over onto your relationships. Yeah, but James, I wish that you would talk about them because I want to talk about them. And he's like continually talking about you. You. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't even let up. He goes on and offends our offendability by telling us why we quarrel. Listen, in verse 2, he says this. And he boils it down to this. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you've asked for the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. If we boil it down, those two verses to this, these these thoughts. I want what I want, but I'm not getting it. I want what you have, but I'm not getting it. I want you to do what I want you to do. And I'm not getting it. What would happen, just imagine with me, what would happen if during your next argument, what would happen during your next crucial debate with a loved one, let's say, right? What would happen if you paused and were simply honest and said, you know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. I bet your wife would probably have to sit back and say, yeah, that is part of the problem. But your friend would have to stand back and say, huh, that's very truthful. And if you're married, here's what I, what, what would it look like? Let's say you're married in here. What would it look like, like during your next argument if the most godly one of the two of you, you know who you are, what, what if the most humble of the two of you, the, the most mature, mature of the two of you, you know who you are, I don't even need to say it, right? The most mature of you, what if, the, what if the, the most godly one said, went first and said, you know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. I mean, it would be a game changer. Because it is so absolutely honest and transparent in that moment. This is the reason why I'm so upset. I want what I want and I'm not getting it. I want what you have and I'm not getting it. I want you to do what I want you to do and I'm not getting it. Like, what if we were just honest and just said like, hmm, part of the problem here is 
I'm not getting what I want. And this principle that James is teaching that we see through Jesus and, and through, through Paul, like this principle that if we could grab a hold of this, honestly, I think it would change the game. And James shows us another way. He says this in verse four, he continues, keep going down. It's just, he's gonna call you a name, so get ready. He says, you adulterous people. He doesn't even know you, and he's calling you this. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with, with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? James is communicating something that is so deep and yet so simple. And it is this choice that we have as Holy Spirit-filled followers of Jesus. And this is the choice. We can choose to live out of our fleshly desires and our fleshly wisdom. Or we can live out of the Spirit of God that dwells in us. And it's... It's maddeningly simple. I didn't say it was easy. Essentially, the Spirit of God that dwells in you is not just meant to save you from the fires of hell. It's actually meant to save you from your own living hell here, now, today, with all those people and all their stupid Essentially, what, what James is reminding each and every single one of us is that you can be free no matter what they do. And Paul says it kind of similar. Let me read it for you in Romans chapter 8. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. What, what Paul is reminding us here, he's saying where you have your mind set is what will determine your mindset. So if you have your mind set on what your flesh desires, I, I want what I want and I'm not getting it. I want what you have and I'm not getting it. I want you to do what I want you to do and I'm not getting it. If your mind is set on that, it will produce bitter envy and selfish ambition. But if you have your mind set on the things of the Spirit, Paul says that your mindset will produce life and peace, which is what we all want, which is what every single one of us wants, which is why we quarrel and fight, because we just want peace. <laughs> if you would just submit and stop talking, then we would have peace. If you would just agree with everything that I have to say, then we would have peace. If you would just do what I want you to do, then we would have peace. If you would just give me what I want, then we would have peace. We all want peace. The end goal is peace. And James is just saying there's another way. There's another way to actually get what you really want. And it isn't just to get your own way. It's to get life and peace. I mean, think about the life of Jesus, right? Jesus had, well, I mean, he had conflict. 
He had conflict with angry mobs that were trying to kill him. He had conflict with individuals. He had conflict from holy people, people on the road, private and public. Jesus had conflict. The, the difference with, about Jesus is this, that Jesus always, always had godly conflict. He never had worldly conflict. How did he do it? How did he have godly conflict? How did he love people who hated him? How did he forgive his executioners as he hung on a cross for a crime that he didn't commit? Like the Jesus godly conflict stuff literally does not make sense to us because, well, I would argue that he had his mind set on the things of the spirit. Because if he had his mind set on anything else, he has every right to burn it all down. Even his own followers neglected they said they didn't even know him and then ran the other way as he hung on a cross. He did it because he had his mind set on the things of the Spirit. And which maybe you're thinking right now, which I would think the same thing, is like, well, I'm not Jesus. I don't know. Jesus is perfect. I'm not. So you can't compare and say, well, just be like Jesus. Here's the point. And I'm going to read it to you in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Paul writes this. And this is the freedom. He says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Which means that so when you are angry, when you are offended, when you are just shaken up and ready to go, right? The Bible says this, that you have a choice. Are you going to listen to the flesh or are you going to walk in the spirit that is living in you and ask the Holy Spirit to govern your reactions? Because the offenses will come. Stupid happens. Conflict is every day. But essentially the question is this. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to enable you to have godly conflict? So, James tells, really, he does a superb job of telling you how vile you are. He does a great job of telling you how despicable, how messed up, how selfish, and how jealous you are. And it's like, I, you're sitting there like, wow, great Sunday. So how in the world are we supposed to do, where's the life in this? How, how are we supposed to have godly conflict? I think that James does a really good job of, of laying out a few principles here. And I've got five of them just through verse seven. I'm gonna run down through them. The first one is this. He says this in verse seven. Submit yourselves then to God. Submit to God, number one. Submit to God. And if I'm honest, I don't have a problem submitting to God when I see the payoff. Like if, if, if God was like, hey, if you just put $100, you know, give $100 to this person, I'm going to mail you a check for a million. I'd be like, done, done. You just asked me to do anything, Jesus. I'm here. I surrender. I'm submitted to you, all about you, right? If I see the payoff, I got no problem submitting to God because I, I, I see the benefit to myself. Of course I'm going to do this. Yeah. God, God asks me to do something? Absolutely. But what I've found is that Oftentimes, submitting to God means obeying him even when I don't agree with him. It means doing what he asked me to do even when I don't see the benefit. I mean, that's, the, that's, that's forgiveness. It's like, hey, God calls us to forgive, and it's like, but they don't deserve it. <laughs> Stupid. Why would I do that? Many times, submitting to God means following him even when I think my way is better. I think that a lot. And he says, submit to God. Because what I find 
is that every step we take in God begins and ends with submission. It's how we come into the kingdom and it's how we stay and find life and peace in the kingdom. The second thing he says is resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, number two, number two. This word resist is, is actually a military word. And it's important for us to understand this because a lot of times we read like resist the devil and we just think what that means is to get down on the ground, get in the fetal position, suck my thumb, plug my ears and just hope to sweet Jesus that the devil stops hurting me. If I could just resist the devil, he'll stop doing it, right? If I, that's, that's my resist. I just, I just go 1970s protester, get down on the ground. I'll be able to avoid all of the, all of the things. I, I, I won't have to worry about this. I'm, I'm resisting the devil. But, but it's weird because it says resist the devil and then he will flee from you. Who flees from that? Who flees from that? That's not scary. You're not resisting anything. You're hiding. You're denying the reality of what's actually happening. But this word resist, the devil, this word resist that he uses in the Greek actually means to stand up against, to take, to take a stand, to stand your ground. And some of you may need to hear this, that like the fight you think you're in is not the fight you're in. The fight you think you're in with that person, with them, with the who is not actually the fight that you're in. The fight that, has, that you're in has less to do with the quarrel and the offense and the person that is standing in front of you or the situation that we're all thinking about right now and has everything to do with your willingness to submit your tongue to the Holy Spirit. The fight that you're actually in has everything to do with your willingness to submit your reactions to the Holy Spirit, to submit yourself to the Holy Spirit, to stay in formation and to choose to walk in obedience even when you don't agree with what it is that God's called you to. And maybe you need this reminder that your brother is not your enemy. Your sister is not your enemy. And in the last days, Jesus would remind every single one of you that unity is the emergency. In all of the things that we're concerned about and finding and looking and watching the news and figuring out, unity is the emergency. Number three, he says, come near to God, verse eight, and he will come near to you. Come near to God. There's a difference between following God and coming near to God. And I would just speak this over you. you I'm sure you're following God. You're not off on a bender. You're, you're, I'm just saying, like, you're not going rogue. But it's been a while since you came near to him. And it's a slow fade. You can still be following God and be at a very big distance from him. And I would say this, if you're currently in a conflict right now, like if this is your life right now, I want to encourage you, draw near to God. I know you're following him. I know you're trying to be good and not swear and do all the, I'm just saying, draw near to God. Because he says, when, when you draw near to God, that he will draw near to you. Why don't you stand with me? Uh, 
whenever I hear somebody say things like draw near to God, I think like, okay, what does that mean though? Like, does that mean I'm supposed to come to church more? Does that mean like if you have an altar call, I'm supposed to come up? Does that mean I'm supposed to ask somebody to pray for me? What, what does it mean to, to draw near to God? What does that even mean? Does that mean I'm supposed to have more guilt and shame that I already have in my life and make more like mid-year New Year's resolutions to get back on track? Like, is that what it means to come near to God? James actually answers it by offending you further. Verse eight, he says, wash your hands, you sinners. <laughs> Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. <laughs> which is so weird. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Thanks so much, James. I feel very lifted. It's a good Sunday, Pastor Justin. Great message. James, you, James is the, the counselor you'd never pay to see. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, ah, uh, this was just like an introductory session, right? Like this is a freebie pro bono. I'm out. I'm never coming back here again. Thanks, thanks, James. It is James, right? I think essentially what James is saying is this. Own your stuff. Own your stuff. Because in these moments where like this is happening, we get so focused on other person's sin. I do. Like, what they did, what they should have done, but they didn't do, but they promised they said they would and they haven't. And I think James is reminding us, I, in your attempt to focus on them, own your own crap. I said it. Because I think James would have. Own your stuff. I think what James is reminding us is this. Wash your hands first. He says it. Sounds a little more harsh. Make sure your heart is clean. Yeah, but what about them? Repent for your own sins. Yeah, but, but, you, but yeah. grieve your own losses. And if you're wrong, own your stuff. And if you're in a conflict right now, like, and you feel like you're only 10% in the wrong, and all of us are, I get it, you're only 10% in the wrong, like, then own 100% of your 10%. Own 100% of your 10%. If the Holy Spirit tells you you're wrong in an area, then it's a sin for you not to own it. Because what I've found is as far as you are concerned, God will always seem more concerned about your sin than he is about their sin. And it drives me nuts. Because I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Well, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about, come on, come on, come on. And God's like, I'm actually just focused on you now. Well, when are we going to focus on them? I'll, I'll focus on them. You focus on you. That's not fair. This is the maddening part of what James is communicating. And in our attempt to get what we want, thinking we're going to get what we want by selfish ambition and 
bitter envy. James says there's another way. God says there is another. There's another way. And he says this in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And then catch this part. And he will lift you up. James says, there's another way. There is a wisdom that is beyond. It cannot be found in intellectual knowledge. It cannot be found in in logical reasoning. It is a totally different way that cannot be manufactured by man. And it comes through something upside down. It's called humbling yourself. And it flies in the face of the worldly wisdom that would tell you, listen, you have got to lift yourself up. I need to lift myself up. I gotta, I, 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 gotta, I gotta prop myself up. I'm just telling you, when you are so responsible for propping yourself up and lifting yourself up, it is exhausting. And James says, I have another way, and it is if you would get low, then God can lift you up. That's our responsibility is to get low so he can lift you up. So I want to end with this song at the end here. I just want to encourage you over this, this song. Like, what are the things that the Holy Spirit is bringing up to you right now? Is it maybe submit to God even when you don't agree? Is, he, is God calling you to do something and you're like, I just don't see the payoff. I don't understand why you would even want me to do this. It doesn't make sense. If it doesn't make sense and yet you feel like God's calling you to do it, I'm just telling you, you should probably do it. I like to, I like to take tests once. I hate retaking tests. And when we refuse to walk and submit and do the things that God's asked us to do the first time, we end up having to take the same test over and over and over again. Submit to God, even when you don't agree. And then the second thing, he says, stand your ground against the devil's schemes. Are are you hunkered down with your thumb in your mouth, plugging your ears in the fetal position? Do you need to take a stand? Do you need to take a stand against the devil's schemes and refuse to allow him to keep coming and stealing your lunch money? It's number three, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Are you in the midst of a conflict right now? And you just know that the call of God in your life right now is that you just need to actually get near to him. You're following him. You're you're, you're not coming off the rails. I'm not saying that you're walking in sin. I'm just saying like, do you just need to say, you know what? I'm actually gonna take a couple hours and I'm just gonna get along with Jesus. I need to draw near to him right now because I'm feeling like the wheels are about to come off the bus. Maybe it's number four, own your stuff. <laughs> is God calling you to own 100% of your 10% and you're refusing to do it because it's only 10%? Own your stuff. Or maybe it's get low. Humble yourself so that he can lift you up. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us even as we sing today, Lord, that you would you would prick our hearts in the maddening attempt for us to look and to focus on everything else and the who, the who, the who, the who. I pray that we would get to the root of the what and what it is that you're wanting to remove and mold and make and break and change on the inside of us so that we can have life and peace that surpasses understanding, that we can be free no matter what they do. Let's sing together.